Excellent, excellent. Just thinking about uh, what Ella said, there was just an aside that she said when she gave that testimony, and I just wanted to make sure we all heard it. Uh, she said it felt normal, but it was different. Like that, there was a, like a new normal in her life, a new normal. Now, now I think for us, that's some that's the thing that I want us to get hold of is that, well, yes, yeah, stuff happens in our lives and it's normal. And I react in a certain way, and that's normal. But that normality doesn't have to be how I always am. God has a new normal for me. A new normal where I'm not in the chains that my past has had for me. And Ella, that's what I believe God's released to you. And I believe he's got that for a number of us this morning. Because as we're led by the Spirit, so we become this thing which... So good we could have called a whole series it a normal radical, where it becomes normal to be different, where it becomes normal to be changed at the root, where it becomes normal to actually impact the world around us and not accept the status quo. Romans 8 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received was about your adoption to sonship, and by him you cry, we cry, Abba, Father. And I wanted to just, this is my opportunity to kind of explore some things which God's been taking me through in the, in the world of being led by the Spirit, this new world, uh, and what I feel God's been saying to me and speaking to me. And I'm hoping that in amongst it all, you'll find some things that speak to you. I do believe it's a day for no, the new normal, and I do believe that this is the day that the Lord has made, and it's for us to rejoice and to be glad in it. In fact, he has made me glad, I seem to remember, was the verse, the song uh, that we used to sing. Uh, you know, he has made me glad. And I believe that there's something which God can release in us as he makes us glad. He doesn't do that at the point of a gun. He reconfigures something inside of us to turn our sad into glad again. And I've just seen Avril at the back. Fantastic. You made it. Woo! Fantastic. Excellent. So, so it's completely completely distracted me. Okay, so, okay. So I've been thinking about this phrase of being led by the Spirit. And and when Jesus was baptised, the first thing that happened to him in Matthew chapter 4 was he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, it's it's a great place to live, paradise, you know. Plenty of food, lots of greenery, beautiful sunshine. This is where I think I was made to be. But, you know, there are times when we're not in that place. We're not even... We don't feel like we're by that river that... Phil was talking about, where there's 
where he makes me lie down in green pastures. We, d- we don't feel like that. We feel like it's a bit arid, a bit sandy, and really, it's not really where we choose to be. But isn't it interesting that Jesus was led not to green pastures, but to this wilderness, not for punishment, but because he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, Matthew 4, and he was led into the wilderness. And because the Spirit led him there, he was prepared for what he found there. You know, God doesn't take you to places that you can't cope with. It's all about his strength, not, not ours. So, if you found yourself this morning thinking, you know, this is the day the Lord has made, but I'm not sure that I can rejoice. Or, this normal that I'm used to, this is, this is, this is constricting, this is not where I, I believe I'm made to be. Or perhaps you can identify a little bit with some of the grit or some of the dryness that wilderness is all about then I'm hoping that this morning this might speak to you. See, wilderness to me is about a place of dryness. Um, in some, in some uh, translations, the words, the words that's used is desert, which literally just means because there was no one there. So Jesus had fasted for 40 days, uh, and he was on his own. It was a place where he was vulnerable to the elements. He didn't have somewhere, he didn't have a tent to go to. He just slept on the ground. It's, a possible, it's possible in this place to not really want to stay there, I've heard. So it is a possible, it's possible that while you're there that you can become impatient. I don't actually like this place. I'd like to move somewhere else. And it can be a place of doubt. Nothing grows in this place because it's so dry. There's no natural stuff to keep you going. The trouble is, when we're in this place where everything seems lovely, we don't always listen to our Father because we've got all this stuff around us that protects us. When Jesus went off into the wilderness, it was just him and the Father It's not a very attractive place to be. In fact, sometimes people try to reach out to you when you're in such a place, and actually you don't really respond terribly well. We can want to take shortcuts. Come on, God, get on with it. But hey, you know, doubt, one last thing, doubt isn't always wrong. Sometimes it can be real. When Thomas stood before Jesus and, and, uh, and Jesus said, look, here I am. And he said, well, I, I, I just, unless I can see your hands, unless I can see your feet, I, I, won't, I won't believe. Jesus shows him those very things. And Thomas is brought to a new place of faith. Now, Jesus goes on to say that those that believe in him, because they haven't seen these things, are much more blessed. But actually, confessing your need is the way into God's grace. See, I believe that wilderness has a function in our lives. I think wilderness is a place where 
God takes us so that we have to be more than we do. Sometimes. Sometimes, you know, Jesus had a lot of things to do. He was surrounded by a lot of people whose lives he could change and transform. But he went into the wilderness because he was led by the Spirit. He wasn't in, at that point, a place of function. He was a place in a place where he had to be and not do. It becomes a place of battle. It becomes a place where Jesus' very sharpness in the spirit is absolutely key. We're going to look at the story in a bit more detail in a minute, but I'm just sort of giving a few headers to start us off. I think the fact that Jesus isn't surrounded by the fluff of life, I'm going to call it the fluff of life, you know, the... He's not been eating for 40 days. He's not got anywhere comfortable to go, to go home at night. The fact that he is in that place means he's not distracted by those things. And so when the enemy comes to him, he's able to be really sharp and to see what's behind these apparently wise words. It's the very first thing that happens to Jesus after he's filled with the Spirit. And I think that that's because the wilderness can be a place of preparation. We want to get on with it. We want to do lots of things. But what God wants is for us to build something that's valuable and is accurate. And so I believe that what God does is he he sometimes uses these, these times, these seasons as a place of preparation. And this becomes a place where he's presented with choices. Whether I will use my power for me, or whether I'm going to use it to to enrich and to bless and to seek the kingdom of God. It's a place of refining and pruning. So I thought while talking about being led by the Spirit, we'd look at three strategies to avoid being led by the Spirit. Okay? So these are three things the enemy uses to try and show Jesus a different way of living. Because we know that Jesus is led by the Spirit, and he's been led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We might have thought the best thing would be to just go on and get on with feeding the 5,000 or healing the lame people or making blind people see or maybe doing a bit of teaching on the side. But for 40 days, Jesus is just in the wilderness. And so we, 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 I want to look at what that whole process is about. So here's some strategies to avoid being led by the Spirit. So I'm just going to read you the, uh, the story. I know I've looked at this before with you. Um, I can't remember when. Um, but fortunately, the thing about the Bible is it, if you do use the Bible, sometimes the same things come up, you know. It just happens like that. So otherwise, you know, I'd have to make up my own stories, gospel according to Neil. But then I think there's something about not adding to this somewhere in the Bible. I think it says you shouldn't do that. So... So, Matthew 4, and I'm just going to read verses 1 to 11. So, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
Just, just, just think about that for a moment. Just think about that, that verse. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, into the desert to be tempted by the devil. That's, that's a rather interesting little thing there. Filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, into the, devil, into the desert to be tempted. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to a holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift, lift you up in their hands so you won't even strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to, me, said to him, away from me, Satan, for it's written... Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him, and the angels came and attended him. So, what's the strategy that the devil first comes up with that's going to distract Jesus from being led by the Spirit? Well, it's feeding his personal hunger, letting his flesh rule him. You see, this is not just, I don't believe this story is just about what's here. I think when things happen in Jesus' life, it's a type of something that happens. And here's one of the temptations that we face when we're filled with the Spirit. Will I look to see my personal needs met? Will I, will I be looking for fulfillment in the relationships I have with others? Or am I actually looking to give to others and make them fulfilled? My personal hunger for love might take something cheap and try to pretend it's costly. I might I take what I see. Do you try to turn rocks into bread? Well, probably not. Um, you don't get confused. There's some bread I've eaten in my time that was pretty hard, I have to say. Um, uh, but, but generally, you wouldn't get confused between what was rock and bread. But what about this thing that God blesses me through? What about my work? See, God blesses my family through my work. He provides for my family. But is that, is that thing, is that something that, that gives me a purpose? Or am I dependent on God for that? See, I think that what God wants is for us to be rooted in him, not trying to turn something which is, is, uh, is inanimate into something that is sustaining, because ultimately it won't sustain. Because Jesus' answer is, it's not about bread at all. It's not about my, it's not about my body. It's not about, my, it's not about what I need. But it's on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word there that's used is a, is a present continuous tense. So it's not just every word that's come from the mouth of God, which, which is 
useful and true, but it's every word that is always coming and is coming at this present time. So instead of me trying to look for what's here and now and in front of me and using that to feed me, God wants me to be continually feeding from him in this day, in this day that he's made so that I can, I can rule my flesh rather than my flesh rule me. Sometimes we... So, in the second example, um, Jesus is taken to a high place and told to throw himself off. Because after all, the enemy says, uh, God's going to command his angels concerning you. You don't have a thing to worry about. I put that as me trying to rule God rather than letting God rule me. If I take an action that's so stupid, he has to intervene, otherwise my life is lost. Really, what I'm saying to him is, God, you've got, to tell, you've got to do this now. And that's why we mustn't put... Jesus says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. It's not that he wouldn't catch me. That's not the point. The point is, I'm, I'm trying to dictate to God, from my activity what he needs to do. And uh, you know, of course I'd never throw myself off a tall building, would I? But have I ever thought about taking an action so dramatic that God just has to intervene? What do I mean by that? I suppose I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking of things like pursuing relationships, which I know aren't good for me. But actually, I, I pursue it anyway, because I know that, that and God will, God will just make it all right. Here's something that God's spoken to me about, and I can carry on. Perhaps it's in the way that I speak to others. Do I tear down rather than build up? The way I speak is very important, and, and I know that I don't always get it right. But I know that God has a plan for me, that what is normal can be transformed. And the last thing I think that, that Jesus is faced with here is wanting popularity more than pleasing God. The enemy says, if you just do this thing, then you'll get all this stuff anyway. When we walk in step with the Spirit, we will say things and do things that others don't understand. We will take perspectives on situations in our workplaces that others don't share. We really will. They won't just say, oh, I see, you're right. They'll probably say... Why on earth do you think that? And you'll say, well, that's because the Spirit's told me. <laughs> well, maybe you won't say that. Maybe you'll just say, well, that's what, I, that's what I believe. That's what I believe to be right. See, what I've been learning is that sometimes people do say, oh, yes, Neil, you're so wise. That's such a good thought. I'm really grateful that you brought that different view to this to the table today. That's really helpful. And other times they'll say, what's Neil on about? He's not, in the, he's not going in the same way as the rest of us. 
And you can find yourself left out. But what we have to do is to stay in tune with the Spirit. We have to stay in step with the Spirit. And we have to present what we believe God to be saying as clearly and accurately as we can. When we walk in step with the Spirit, we will say things which others don't understand. We will say things that others can't understand. John 3 says that, Jesus said in John 3, that the flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. He talks about us not knowing where the wind is going. The Spirit is like that. We can't work it out, but we follow it. They may accuse you, of false motives. But if we're going to keep in step with the Spirit, we need to be kingdom-focused, not opinion-focused. Kingdom-focused, not opinion-focused. So these are some things that I think that in that story, in Matthew 4, I believe God was speaking to me about, and I think that it's something that's it's there, and we need to acknowledge that the enemy doesn't have very much creativity around him. The things that he comes up with, the lies he speaks, have always been the same. If you are important, if you are the Son of God, if God really loves you, he won't let this stuff happen to you. If God really cared, you wouldn't be in this place. But actually, our God does care for us. But where is he in the wilderness? Where is God in the wilderness? This is another little thing I was thinking about. So, in, in, John, uh, sorry, in, the, in Matthew, in the story, Matthew 4.11, says that when the devil left him, then the, it doesn't actually when, it says, then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Now, I'm sharing this today because I believe that for some of you, this is, this is sort of ringing true. Others of you, you'll be thinking, well, I didn't know that. I don't know. This is not, it's not where I am. I'm going to share you one of my dreams, if I can. I sometimes have dreams. Some dreams I wouldn't talk about. And then there are other dreams which I have which are just weird. Anyway, this particular dream was quite strange, and I, I shared it at core team, and I felt God say something to me through it. So this is one of, the, one of the dreams that I felt God gave me the other day. Now, my father died five years ago, which is it's around five years ago. Um, and, um, and it's really weird, because all of a sudden, I had this dream about my dad. And so my dad's standing there, uh, and he was... Uh, Basically, I was just trying to get towards him, but I couldn't, because there was like this, there was this gap in the way. I don't know what it was, it was like a ditch. I don't know why I couldn't just walk down. I'd just walk down and walk up the other side. But in your dream, this doesn't always make sense, does it? So I just knew that I wanted to get to him, but I couldn't. And he was like this, wanting to, to receive me, but I couldn't, I couldn't like get to him. So I'm thinking, well, this is a bit strange. Anyway, so I woke up. And I thought, well, what is this about? And then I realized that, that actually it wasn't really about my dad. I mean, it was like a bit out of the blue. What I felt God was saying was, that's how you feel it is with me. 
You're standing there, I'm over here, you're wanting to talk to me, but I'm, you're feeling like you can't get there. It's only, it's only here. Anyway, so I had the dream again, or I had a similar dream. And I thought, well, I don't know what to do. And I just, and I just sort of, I'm standing here like this, and I thought, well, I don't know what to do. And I just, like my dream, I'm going like this. I don't know what to do. And then suddenly I felt arms around me. And I realized that what it was, is it was like, God was saying, it's not about you coming to me, is it? You just need to ask, and I come to you. So when Jesus is in the wilderness, and the enemy left him alone, the angels are there immediately. I've been reading Psalm 139. And every so often, different verses jump out at me. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. See, here's the thing. It was this verse that stood out to me. There was just others, oh, great verses, lots of other verses in that psalm. I could read it all day and I do sometimes, I don't know whether to read it all day, that's really, but it's a verse, a psalm I come back to, and what I'm trying to say to you is that verse just leapt out of me. What does it mean to be hemmed in? Well, hemmed in, it's like you can't get out of it, can you? It's like, I imagine someone put a cape around me, so, I don't know, sort of wrap some kind of cape like this. And it's like, I've done it right up tight to your neck like this. And now you're trying to get it off, and you can't, because you're hemmed in. You're surrounded on every side. See, the Bible is full of people that find God where they didn't think he was. In Genesis 28, Jacob's having a dream in verse 15. and, uh, And God says to him, I'm with you, and will watch over you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back from this land. I'll not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. And then when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord's in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. You see, sometimes we can be in a place... And it can be a physical place, it might be your workplace, it might, be, it might just be in a place in our heads, but like God just feels a long way away. But God's never a long way away. He's never separated from you by some imaginary ditch. He's right alongside, he's within you. And as we're being led by the Spirit in these days, we know that sometimes our senses will lie. We need 
to keep in step with the Spirit to know this hemming in. So, okay, uh, a little bit of... Um, so, so, okay, so now I was thinking about hemming in, and I was thinking, what pictures can I think of? And I don't know. I came up with this picture. Might work. All right, so is this what being hemmed in is about? Okay, uh, the picture uh, uh, shows Bridget Jones under her duvet, having a duvet day, surrounded by packets of crisps and um, yeah, some other things, which I don't know what they are. I'm probably not supposed to know what they are. So, um, apparently... Apparently, I've heard, there is such a thing as a duvet day. Did you know there's an official thing called a duvet day? That some... Im- what did you say, Andy? Every day. It's your, you must have a special agreement with your employer. Because according to Wikipedia, a duvet day is a formal allowance of time off given by some employers... Most commonly in the United Kingdom and the United States. It differs from holiday allowance in that no prior notice is needed and employees receive an allocation of days when they don't want to go to work. For any reason, they can use a duvet day. The day is a reference to an item of bedding. Well, yeah, I kind of got that. But, you know, I don't think this is what God has in mind when he hems us in. I don't think this is what God has in mind when he says he hems us in. Uh, you see, um, this is what I think it's far more like. It's not so much a duvet, more a mighty army. In 2 Kings 6, um, you can read this story. Uh, 2 Kings 6, verse 8. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel, and after conferring with his officers, he said, I will set my camp in such and such a place. It's a funny name, that, but that's what it says. Such and such a place. don't think it would catch on. It'd be a bit confusing, wouldn't it? Where's that? Oh, it's such and such a place. Isn't that such and such a place? Yeah, that's right. Oh, what about that place over there? Such and such a place. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> such and such a place. Anyway, he set his camp up in such and such a place. The man of God sent down the... <laughs> The man of God sent the word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place, such and such a place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king, so he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram, and he summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet of Israel, tells us the king of Israel... Tells, us, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go and find where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back, he's in Dothan. So he sent horses and chariots and a strong, strong force there. And they went by night and they surrounded the city. So when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early next morning with the horses and chariots that had surrounded the city... He said, oh, Lord, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those that are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And then the Lord opened his eyes. And he looked and he saw the hills full of chariots and horses and fire all around Elisha. 
You see, in that story, the servant doesn't see, excuse me, doesn't see what Elisha can see. All around him, there is this mighty army. Now, I'm, 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 I'm saying this because I believe that some of us are in situations where we feel outnumbered, sometimes literally outflanked, so surrounded. And yet God's put us in this community to be those that are able to tune in to his spirit and to see things his way. See, those that are with us are far more than those that are with them. That's not just one another here. For the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. For they have the divine power to tear down strongholds. That's what we were hearing about this morning in our testimonies. Strongholds of fear. Strongholds of behavior. So how can I tune in to this whole thing that God has for me? Well, To tune in, we need good reception. If you try and watch a TV and it hasn't got good reception, you can't see anything. We get good reception when we seek first the kingdom of God. When we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be given to you as well. I believe that without... without uh, this is not being oversimplistic... Often when we find ourselves in battles in our workplaces, things become much clearer when we take a step back from personality and we think about what is righteous here? What is, what is on God's agenda for this situation? And suddenly we can see things more clearly. There are times in the wilderness when the picture looks like the right-hand side. But if we're seeking the kingdom, I believe, God will give us clarity. See, when we're born again, we need a whole new way of thinking. It means a totally new set of priorities. There is no way we can continue to think the same way, to judge success in the same way as the world judges success. We, we just can't do that. We can't keep a foot in both camps. It has to be about what, what God has for us. Jesus puts it like this in Luke 16. You can't serve two masters. You're either going to serve one, hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and to despise the other. Who is it that pulls your rope? See, I began to realize that I think uh, that there's something about status that still matters to me, right? And status stinks, right? So there's something about that that God is dealing with in these days. And there's something about forgiveness that he's speaking to me about, about how I keep a record of wrongs. And I can dress it up and say, well, as a manager, I've got to know the things that haven't gone so well. But actually... It's not about, it's, it, it, it's my personal relationship with someone has to be above keeping this record of wrongs because that's not what love is. 
Jesus goes on to say, you can't serve God and money. I don't think that's just about money. That's about the whole, that's about the whole thing of, of your pride, your status, your, your, what you've achieved in your life. All these sorts of things are all muddled up in there. God won't have, won't have anyone alongside him. He has to be God. I can't be God. My status can't be God. What others think of me can't be God. He has to be God. So thinking about weapons to help us tune in, I believe it's about being single-minded in our pursuit of him. And this is a phrase that we used years ago, but I just felt about this in dealing with conflict. You see, it's so important that we learn how to, to come at things from a different perspective. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure this will be news to some of you because I know that you think that our family is, is wonderful and perfect. And it is wonderful and perfect in every way. It's just that we've got real people in it. And so sometimes we can have disagreements. Now, I can't speak about anyone in particular, uh, so I'm not going to. But we do have conversations sometimes involving my good self, where it becomes a bit of an arms race of words. By arms race, what I mean is, someone gets angry, so someone has to get a bit angrier to prove that they're right, so then the other person has to get a bit angrier, angrier, and then you end up with this kind of crescendo of anger, which actually has achieved very little, apart from make your neighbours wish that they, they had thicker walls. See, God wants us to be able to take a step back from those kind of conflict situations. Those are never really serious things. But they can be. They can be. And, and God wants us to be able to take a step back and say, look, actually, you know what? This is not loving. How you're speaking is not loving. And so, I need to be perfect, just like my Heavenly Father is perfect. So how do I do this in my family, in my workplace? Oh, by the way, you realize that angry emails do the same thing. Did you know that? So, when someone sent you an email because you haven't done something, or you sent an email because they haven't done something, and they come back with an angry response... It's important that you take time before you write that reply because otherwise all that happens is you have this kind of verbal arms race. They got angry with me, I'm going to get angry with them. More angry, more angry, more angry, more angry because you know the anger of a man achieves nothing. It says that in a good book. It really doesn't. And so, and so we need to learn how, if we're going to keep in step with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit to do these things. So finally, I just want to finish with this thing of... of uh, you see, we're talking here about the kingdom of God. It's got to be about the kingdom of God. No exceptions. Kingdom first. 
Romans 14, 17 says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I can tell when I'm seeking the kingdom of God. We can't be, do you want, there's three, three R's in this next bullet point. We can't be seeking the kingdom of God when we are keeping a record of wrong, when we're spreading rumours, or when we're reduced to reacting to others. That is not the plan that God has for us. We go through issues every day, and the how we respond is just as important as the what we're saying. So when when the Lord leads us by the Holy Spirit, don't just expect him to be leading you with wonderful words to say in a situation or with breakthroughs in different situations. Those are great, but do you know how you are is just as important, more important than what, what we say. The Lord has a, has a plan and a way of wanting things to be handled. With each passing conflict we have with people, we need to seek the Father for his heart, both as the deliverer of the message as well as the receiver of one. If I'm delivering a hard message, how would I want that message to be said? What is his heart for the person I'm speaking to? If I, if I want to really blast someone because they've got something wrong, am I communicating God's heart? So I believe that what, what God's speaking to me about uh, and has been speaking about today is about us coming to a place where this powerful, wonderful spirit that's working in us is leading us into a more accurate path. And, uh, and there's various things. I don't know if it's, the, if it's that sense of distance for some of you, whether it's uh, between the, the, that God seen, has seemed a way away. I believe that God wants you to know that he's right alongside you. Whether it is in the, in the conviction that that you've been trying to achieve things through your words that aren't actually in the way that God wants them to be done. No rumours. Gossip is absolutely wrong. Reacting means I'm letting someone else dictate my actions, not God. And God wants us to wipe the slate clean with one another so that what we actually st- how we actually live is the love that he has for us in the same way as he loves us. So, let's, let's just, let's, let me just pray. Okay. Hallelujah. Firstly, I just want to see if you're one of those, when we talked about this being the day that the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. If that's something that you identified with, like you found it hard sometimes when we, we found it hard this morning when we were singing, because it, it doesn't really feel like the day the Lord's made. I'd just like you to just in, put your hand up so that we can pray for you. So if that's something that spoke to you, that you would like to be able to rejoice 
that you're feeling weighed down by things, just indicate to me and I'll pray. Father, as, as these people are making a response before you, Lord, I ask you to be the healer of their soul. Father, I thank you that your promise is that every word of God proves true. So, Lord, as your word tells us that this is indeed the day that you have made, Lord, I, I want to declare that over these people's lives. This is the day with all its, its complexity, all its beauty, all its excitement, all its unknowns. Lord, this is the day that you have made. And Lord, we want to be a people that rejoice, a people that celebrate. Celebrate what you are doing. Thank you, Father. Set people free today. Amen. I think we're going to, what I'd like is to give you opportunity to respond in a song, which, um, which is a song, Jesus, lover of my soul. Um, All consuming fire is in your gaze. Jesus, I want you to know that I will follow you all my days, for no one else in history is like you. History itself belongs to you. Alpha and Omega, you have loved me, and I will share eternity with you. It's all about you, Jesus. And all this is for you. It's not about me as if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender to your ways. I'd like to use this song as a kind of an opportunity for us to say, look, Lord, we know it's about your kingdom. We've heard that verse once or twice about seeking your kingdom first. But other things, they just kind of sneak in, and we find ourselves being pulled in different directions by those ropes. I believe that God wants us to to declare again that it's about his kingdom and it's all about him.